Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Art House Garage. Before the episode starts, I wanted to give a trigger warning just because the movie that we talk about uh, is about death and we talk about death quite a bit, um, just kind of exploring the idea of death and, and how it affects people. Um, and then we end up talking about some stories of people dying, like true stories, some of which are a little bit violent. So I wanted to give a heads up. Um, if that sounds too heavy for you, this may not be the episode for you. Um, just know that going into it. I do think it's a great episode. It's a really great movie. So enjoy. Thanks. Hello, hello, and welcome to season six of Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I am your host, Andrew Sweatman, and for season six, we are shifting our focus to modern times. So season three, we looked at uh, a classic film starter pack, season four, an art house film starter pack, and season five, we looked at contemporary Asian filmmakers. But for season six, we are looking at 2020. We're looking at the best films of 2020. Uh, despite how unusual this year has been, there have been some really good movies out, including today's film, Dick Johnson is Dead, which is a very creative documentary, which we're going to get into. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about 2020 and specifically award season. So what I did in the podcast last year about this time was talk about several of the big name movies from award season 2019 in the lead up to the 2019 Oscars. That worked pretty well, uh, but I wasn't sure if I would be able to do that this year with the way 2020 has disrupted the film industry. But when I took a look at it, I realized there's actually a lot of great stuff this year, and it's actually easier for most people to watch them because almost all of them are streaming. So we've got some great episodes ahead. I'm excited to dig into a lot of great movies from this year. Some are from earlier in the year. Some are not out yet, but will be streaming very soon. So stay tuned. Uh, there's going to be a lot of really good stuff. I'm excited. Another interesting thing about season six is that I'm going to have a lot of different guests. So you can look forward to that. Uh, for this episode, though, I've got a familiar voice back, and that is my friend and fellow film podcaster, Omaya Jones. Omaya, how are you? I'm doing well, uh, considering what the past few days have been like. <laughs> yes, you know. we are uh, recording this. Uh, they have not called the presidency race yet. It's the third night of counting votes and all of that. So we're anxiously awaiting all of that by the time this airs Monday. Uh, maybe there will be an answer, hopefully, by then. Um, so anyway, yes, kind of an, a stressful time <laughs> to, to be recording a podcast, but here we are. Um, so we are going to discuss the film Dick Johnson is dead. Uh, but just before we do, let's talk about the 2020 awards season and how it looks a bit different than previous years. So obviously the coronavirus has caused lots of big, big movies to be pushed back and it's, it's kind of ravaged the movie industry, especially movie theaters, uh, many of which are in a lot of danger of like closing permanently. So it's really not a great situation. But it's also changed award season in some kind of interesting ways. For one thing, uh, the Oscars have been pushed back to April. Generally speaking, the Oscars basically marks the end of award season each year. Uh, sort of the final award show, like for better or for worse, that's kind of the marker of, you know, the end of the movie year. Um, so as we get into this, Omaya, I'm curious, first, what are your kind of general feelings about the Oscars? Do you watch them every year? Do you put a lot of stock into them? How, how do you feel about the Oscars? So historically, I'm not really an Oscar watcher. The last few years, I would say that I have watched them more, mm. starting with, I think, 
a few years ago when there was the mix up between Moonlight and La La Land. Yeah. Like I, I remember I was doing something that night and then got on Twitter. I think I was probably watching a movie. Then I got on Twitter afterwards and saw that people, there was some commotion about something. And so I really quickly found like a video feed mm-hmm. that was, that was online and I just got to see <laughs> uh, that that happened. Yeah. And then I think, yeah, so I, I've watched, I think I watched the past couple years, the year that, Green Book one because mm-hmm. I remember seeing Spike Lee getting upset about that right yeah. and trying to leave the auditorium but he wasn't able to because they were the doors were closed and then the year after that when Parasite won I think I ended up watching most of that mm-hmm. that broadcast but historically I don't really watch the Oscars I think they've you know they sort of had this reputation for awarding a lot of films that weren't very good mm-hmm. um, and, and you know and going back to the year that um, Spike Lee lost for Black Klansman and Green Book won. You know, I, I think it was the same year that Driving Miss Daisy won that uh, Do the Right Thing didn't. I don't know. I'm not sure it was. Yeah, right. He didn't. Mm-hmm. That didn't get it. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. Picture, which, which uh, you know, in retrospect, certainly one of those films is held up a lot better than the other. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the Oscars are just not a good representation of films not necessarily a good representation of films that are going to outstand um, the test of time culturally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I pretty much agree with all of that. I think um, I do watch them every year. Pretty I make a point to do that. And some of that is just nostalgia of that because I, when I was a kid and I really liked movies, uh, you know, it was more than my, most of my friends. I realized I'm really into movies. Uh, this was like the thing movie fans did and this is all i knew it's like my parents let me watch the oscars and we watch them together as a family and um so there's so there's that that aspect of it i also just like seeing the celebrities like i kind of get into that which is you know shallow of me maybe but i enjoy it and um but yeah i think as i became a more uh i don't know film educated and not that i'm that educated in film but as i kind of got more into it and got more serious about paying attention to less mainstream things i realized that the oscars you know on paper the best movies of the year but really rarely is it actually that but like that's for me realizing that was a big deal into like feeling like i could open my eyes to more more diverse films but just more um more films besides the the stuff that was getting recognition realize there's a lot of stuff under the radar that's really good that doesn't uh, get that recognition so there's that i so i take them with a big grain of salt basically i really enjoy watching them um but i i yeah i don't take them as um more significant than they are but i do think that they have some cultural significance Uh, i think rants actually on a previous episode of this podcast put it well Uh, he was talking about the significance of parasite winning uh, last year and being the first foreign language film to win and just the way like you know when people look at a list of oscar winning films that's going to be there forever you know and, and so what's a that's a big deal um but yeah like you hear you're saying look at the previous year green book which you know a lot of critics and and film uh, goers had just had a lot of issues with that uh, i agree with that um it, it just handles racial issues very uh without any nuance or complexity um and you know we should be better than that in 2018 is when this came out and and it goes on to win um but there's also been a lot of interesting discourse around kind of old hollywood new hollywood and you can see that influence on the oscars like we have moonlight winning which feels pretty progressive and, and it feels 
like, you know, this great art house movie one. And then we go back to Green Book and you see kind of the old Hollywood influence. Um, and, and then with Parasite, that's again, feels maybe like a step in the right direction. But anyway, all that to say, I pay attention to them. I do enjoy them. But uh, yeah, big grain of salt um, with with how important they actually are. But there's all that. Uh, so looking forward to 2020, it's interesting. Uh, we should explain also that this year the rules for qualification have changed. So the deal on that, to my understanding, is you know, typically, and I think they've recently, in the last few years, had adjusted this as well, but basically a movie has to have a theatrical run of a certain length to qualify for the Oscars. And so then you'd see like Netflix putting their movie in the theater just long enough to qualify because they want to be streaming everything. Um, but this year, because of the pandemic and theaters closing, they the way they have uh, kind of made a concession for that is movies that we're planning to have a theatrical run are eligible. So, so if it was always going to be direct to streaming, it's not eligible. So Netflix can't just put everything on the ballots. But, um, you know, the, the kind of the bigger pictures that they were planning to have a theatrical run and, and go that way. I, I don't know how they're proving that, but that's kind of the rules. So that means like uh, kind of the first big one that made a lot of money without going to the theater was Trolls World Tour. And that one is eligible because, you know, it was planning to have this big theater run. So it would be eligible for uh, animated feature. Uh, so that's kind of the way that's working this year. And again, there is, they postponed it. So if the Oscars are the end of the movie year, that's kind of been extended. Um, so that means this is actually going to be a pretty long season of the podcast because we're going to keep going until then with, with kind of watching newer stuff. So, um, yeah, so there's all that as well. So Amaya, as we were talking about this, you brought up the idea that this could have some kind of interesting effects on just moviegoer, moviegoers in general. Um, so tell me about that. Yeah. So they extended the eligibility, uh, time to like February 28th, I think. Mm. So if as long as your movie is out by then and that was originally intended to have a theatrical release, um, you will be eligible for the Oscars. So there are still a lot of big pictures that have not been released mm-hmm. and won't be released by then. Like I think the new James Bond was pushed back past that date, mm-hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and like that, you know, I, I wouldn't say that like the, the next James Bond film would be eligible for like best picture, but it might be up for like some technical awards. Sure. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of releases that uh, like Netflix has been trying to get an Academy award for years now. And, you know, they've got a bunch of films that they're going to release on their platform that they would have mm-hmm. had a, at least a token release for um, Whereas other studios might be like uh, other studios might be delaying their releases um, indefinitely. So like Steven Spielberg's West Side story, I'm not sure what the release date mm-hmm. is for that now, but they moved that off of December. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a couple of other uh, notable films like Dune that is another one that would be up yeah. probably for some technical awards that's getting pushed back so um, I think the, the first time this came up was when the pandemic first started and I started seeing people chattering on Twitter about films like Never Rarely Sometimes Always mm-hmm. and the potential for that to get some sort of Academy recognition and it were in a previous year it wouldn't or like mm-hmm. First Cow or something right yeah and and so hopefully it really does open it up for films that previously would never get considered for an Academy Award to have some sort of recognition on that stage. Even going back to like last year, you saw like there's this a difference between like a, 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 
I don't think it happens every year, but last year there was this real difference between like the Oscars and like the Independent Spirit Awards. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, like, if something like Uncut Gems had been pushed back to like mm. a, just a January 2020 release or something, well, that would be in like Oscar contention now. Um, or even something like uh, Neon, who did Parasite. You know, they had two films come out last year that were critically acclaimed. The other one was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but they decided mm-hmm. to concentrate their Oscar campaign on Parasite. And so Portrait of a Lady on Fire got a release in some theaters in December, but kind of went nationwide just before the pandemic hit. I think February 14th mm-hmm. was the, the date for that to go to theaters across the country. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now I think like, oh, if they had, I obviously no one knew when the pandemic was coming, but had they just not released it at all mm-hmm. in 2019 would it have been eligible for an Academy Award in 2020. I could be completely wrong. I don't know exactly how like the, like the production schedule, how it has right, to fit, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's a, it's really interesting. And I think, yeah, the point about is smaller stuff going to have more of a chance this year. I think that's really interesting and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'll be watching the nominations this year very closely whenever that happens. Um, but yeah. And, and you, you kind of noted too, when we were talking like, um, just sort of a divide between, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote film people who are, are sort, sort of, I guess, people that are not that into movies. And, and again, like the way I was until a few years ago, like the Oscars is kind of all I knew as far as like, here's what's happening in Hollywood. Um, so looking at that and wondering, is it going to be canceled? Is it going to be different? Maybe those people will be able to pay attention to some of these smaller things too. Maybe it'll, it'll push that in a way that could be good for smaller, um, smaller movies. And, you know, looking at last year, we had the whole Scorsese MCU controversy, which we don't have to get into, but (laughs) you know, part of the problem there was like these huge box office things are just clobbering everything else and nothing else has a chance to get any attention. Uh, MCU stuff has been pushed back because they can't make their money back. Right. Without big theater sales. And so again, the smaller stuff is having a little bit more of a chance. So anyway, I think obviously pandemic has been terrible for so many reasons, um, but there are some interesting things happening um, just in, in a lot of areas, especially in the movie industry as, as we kind of look at what's happening with the war season. Yeah. So I think it is interesting, you know, hopefully the smaller movies will have more of an audience and that's a lot of the stuff that I'm planning to cover on the podcast this season. So so a lot of stuff that's streaming uh, again, some stuff from earlier in the year, um, some of which I've seen. Actually, the what was the last movie you saw in the theater before the pandemic? I'm curious, Amaya. <laughs> oh, it was Welcome to Chechnya at True False. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I haven't watched that yet, but that's on my list of things to hopefully. Actually, I just found a, a guest to talk about that one. So I'm excited. That one is a plan. I haven't watched it yet, but it's it's also streaming now. Uh, my last movie in the theater was um, The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss, which I really liked, actually, as, as far as uh, kind of horror movies goes and you know that's another thing that the oscars kind of notoriously stay away from genre stuff like a lot of horrors and comedies don't ever get any attention that could maybe change this year mm. um i don't know that i would put invisible man up for anything but i mean maybe i could see it um, certainly best actress yeah yeah she is really good she's fantastic I'm trying to think like what other actresses this year I, I don't know. I'd have to, again, there's a lot of stuff I haven't watched yet that I'm planning to in the next few months. We'll have to see, but yeah, I could definitely see Elizabeth Moss getting some Oscar attention for that. I think there was buzz around, uh, her smell a few years ago. Mm. 
which that's the title of a film if you're unaware <laughs> that's a weird sounding sentence if you don't know that the movie is called her smell um but yes all right well i think that can kind of wrap it up so so one of these um netflix movies that is streaming now that you can go watch and that we're about to discuss is called dick johnson is dead uh it is a documentary it is a very unique documentary it kind of plays with the form um from director kirsten johnson and her previous film camera person was one of my favorites that year we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that i'm sure uh but yeah all right without further ado let's talk about dick johnson is dead just the idea that i might ever lose this man is too much to bear He's my dad. Let's start walking. Just start walking to me. That's fantastic. I suggested we make a movie about him dying. <laughs> he said yes. She kills me multiple times. Action! The resurrected dad. Yeah, the resurrected dad. <laughs> but now it's upon us. The beginning of his disappearance. The thing I hate most about my memory loss is that it hurts people's feelings. You know that you woke up in the middle of the night last night. You got fully dressed. Do you remember any of that? No. Yeah. What can we do about that? I don't know. Everybody has to sort of prepare because everybody dies. I love life too much for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Dick Johnson is Dead. So this is a documentary, um, a kind of playful documentary, plays with the form quite a bit, and we'll talk about that from director Kirsten Johnson. Kirsten Johnson, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, she had her kind of breakout in 2016 with a film called Camera Person. So she is a camera person, has been for many years, uh, worked on many documentaries. And the film Camera Person is sort of a personal memoir using footage from lots of different things, and it kind of ties it into this really unique blend that's that's really emotionally moving. And I really, really loved it. Um, in that film, she kind of stays behind the camera uh, for most of it. There's actually a moment when you suddenly see her for the first time. That's kind of kind of like, whoa, breathtaking. That it kind of breaks the, the rules that have been established. And um, so that's an interesting thing about that film. In this one, she's an integral part of the story. So she, in this film, is reflecting on the imminent death of her father, Dick Johnson, uh, he is aging. His uh, her her mother's passed away, um, and she basically she explains that she said to her father, "Hey, what if we made a, a movie about you dying and we faked your death a bunch of ways?" And apparently he loved that idea, which is so interesting. Um, but it's so it's, it's an incredibly personal story. It does it features um, fake death scenes repeatedly with him. And then it follows his actual story as his, uh, mental health kind of degrades, uh, with, with Alzheimer's. And, uh, so it's really heavy in, in a lot of ways too. It's also very funny and it's, uh, it really is unique in that, yes, yeah, some of this is, is just documenting what's happening. Some of it is, uh, clearly scripted and, and meant to be, uh, it's not like it's trying to sneak that bias that it's scripted. It's, it's, there's kind of fantastical sequences within it. It's incredibly personal. It also clearly wants to have sort of a greater resonance, uh, kind of reflect on the very idea of dying and, and death. Um, and it clearly, she wants it to resonate kind of personally with the viewer. So my question for you, Amaya, is did this resonate personally with you? Um, absolutely. So uh, I got to see this at a festival called True Falls, 
in March of this year. And it was one of the last things that I got to do before everything, like all the festivals were shut down for COVID. Uh, oh, it was yeah. an, it was an AM screening. Um, so there was one of those screenings. I remember sitting in line, uh, scrolling on my phone, waiting for the, to get into the film. Uh, and South by Southwest announced that they were canceling the festival. Mm. Um, and it was also a treat because Kirsten Johnson was there. She was there with the film. And uh, she also had in the audience uh, a family friend, uh, a friend of, of her parents. Um, and it was neat to see this film that is so much about evoking uh, memory and mm-hmm. um, perspective. And then like when um, when uh, her family friend spoke, uh, she talked about just like how she was taken back by the view of the Seattle house, right? Where her dad lived before mm-hmm. she moved to New York um, and how like she remembered it being built um, and like having parties there and things like that. Um, and I will tell you, like there were lots of tears in the audience at various points in this film because it is a very wow. emotional um, journey, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I just, I loved it um, when I saw it and, and I thought that it, it was going to be maybe one of the best films of the year. Um, right out of the gate yeah uh, i agree with all that i think this is incredibly moving i uh yeah i cried and cried at the end um yeah it, it's very emotional it's especially the ending it's so there's like a uh, a funeral scene that is uh yeah it, 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 in the way that this plays with the form of documentary it also plays with the idea of death and the idea of even a funeral uh, like it's like a staged funeral um but it's so incredibly moving um that yeah i was just really impressed by it and it's and again it's so unique it's not a straight documentary as i said like there's um several things that are meant to be kind of artificial there's like a heaven sequence that we see at one point and then it kind of comes back again and again that's very funny uh, like this this film um is incredibly funny it it did make me reflect on my own mortality and the, the mortality of uh people i know but also in a way that yeah, I'm laughing. I'm emotional. It's, it's very life affirming and like humanistic. I think, um, it's a really positive film and and I, it's really quite an experience to watch. Um, one of my favorite, so we can kind of talk about some of those artificial touches. Uh, one of my favorite things, there was these subtitles throughout the movie that are like built in to, to real things. For instance, the title of a book, that's like something long and ridiculous, clearly not a real book. It said, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was like, filling in a gap of telling part of here's what's happening next in the story. Um, and it's so funny too, because in that scene, I think one thing she does really well, I mean, obviously she has a ton of experience just filming people and, and capturing human things on, on camera. And um, when we see that book title, we hear someone's voice who, who sees it and is like, is this a, did we have this book or like some sort of little sound of surprise that you can tell like this really is a real book that she had created for this film. And also she's capturing some funny little human moment of, of surprise about what is this weird little book? Uh, but then there's like another one where it's um, sky riding or not sky riding, but like a, a plane carrying one of those long banners that you see at like the beach and stuff um, explaining the next, the next point of the film. Um, so it's really creative and really, uh, yeah, just really a unique, a unique thing. Um, so on that kind of humanistic idea, she clearly sees um, beauty just in people and in humanity. And um, that's really evident in camera person. 
and again, probably a result of her just years of observing people. Uh, but there's a moment in, in this when she's, um, she and her father are talking to a man about his mother's death. So that it kind of just talks about the idea of death. And so you see them, um, talking to this person and his, like his mother drowned. He tells about that and how that affected him. And they have this like meaningful and beautiful conversation. Also like just very friendly and kind of warm. Um, and then he gets up and it turns out that he's like a mover. Like he just came there to pack up the office and she clearly stopped him and was like, let's make you part of this, uh, which is so fascinating. And I think just really speaks to her, um, just her, her perspective on, the dignity and importance of every person like this mover shows up. Let's, let's talk to him about what is death to you and your parents' deaths and that kind of thing. So yeah, I just really love that aspect of it. Yeah. I, I think that's a trait that they both share. Um, what, particularly like that scene, like I can imagine how, you know, maybe he just came for a pre-scheduled appointment to like, take a look at the space and see how he's going to move it. And then they started talking to mm-hmm. him. Uh, and you know, her father was a therapist um, before he had to retire. Yeah. Um, and like, so he, he seems to be like very well versed in this. Um, and then also like going back to the funeral scene, like cl- you can clearly see um, in this fake stage funeral that um, he, this is the impact that he's had on people, you know, his friends mm-hmm. who were very emotional, uh, his son, Christian Johnson's brother um, is, is clearly like having a hard time with, with the whole idea. Um but even like, so like Johnson's talked about just the, like the back and forth or like the collaborative nature of filmmaking and how that's sort of what she's really into. Um, mm-hmm. And so she had talked about um, filming that scene, the funeral. There's a, there's a scene in the funeral or a shot where her father is like walking down the aisle during this whole thing and how like you mm-hmm. know, she has the camera and she's shooting something. And then her cinematographer, the, the person who's shooting with her comes over and takes the camera from her to shoot, to like get that shot. That is the sort of iconic shot of the film. Um, and, uh, she just talked about just like having this trust in people, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and then just listening to her talk to people at, like Q and A's and things like, she's clearly just very interested in like making these connections with people. Um, and trying to like get out people's stories and like really get to know mm-hmm. them as people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that follows too. So, there's this played at the hot springs uh documentary film festival and i know you uh were live at the q a uh and i was able to watch the replay of it that she did it was like a zoom q a and it was really a remarkable thing and and so that's one of the things she talked about was like the back and forth um between between people and that's like the most interesting way to make a film which isn't something i ever think about you know with filmmaking so i think that's interesting and she also talked in that about well, first of all, it's it's like no Q and A I've ever seen because she started it out by by asking participants, um, "How do you want to die?" <laughs> like, so, like, just coming out of the gate with that and kind of putting people on the spot, but that led to such an interesting conversation. Um, and she was also just so affirming of everyone that that kind of chimed in to ask questions and things, and and it, it was really. Like you can see how this is going to be an incredibly therapeutic experience for her making it, but then she wants to bring people in on that. And like, I feel like that Q and a was therapeutic for her and for everyone that watches it. <laughs> like, even if I wasn't there live, like it's, it's such a thing that it's making you reflect in your own life too. That, um, yeah, just really, really powerful. And I was really impressed by it. Another thing she talked about in that Q and a is 
um, the way that film, uh, I guess art in general, but film specifically, um, the way it stands as sort of a historical document. Uh, and she talked about like, you know, future generations can watch this and can experience what Dick Johnson was like as a person. Um, and it's sort of reaching forward through history, uh, kind of having a, I guess a, a time a time jump back and forth kind of thing. And then she talked about, you know, people being inspired by films from years and years ago and how powerful that is. And I just think that's a really fascinating kind of layer to this as well. Um, that in a way she's trying to cheat death <laughs> sort of by like saying, here's, here's Dick Johnson. He's going to live forever in this movie. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's sort of, and it, it has sort of an irreverence to uh, like with those silly heaven scenes, which are, again silly and funny but also really moving and uh in, in such a strange way but anyway yeah I, I just really was impressed with this yeah well so it's is the idea that like there's this document um that her children will have of their grandfather but in another sense there's also this they'll have uh this document of her right because you know yeah. unlike him or person she's very much you know on screen a lot in this and she's talked about how um one of the things she realized when her mom died and, and I guess in the making of camera person is that there's the, the scene of her, the, like the footage of her mother is like all she has. Um, like mm-hmm. she didn't spend a lot of time filming her. And so this yeah. project, um, like once she started to notice that her dad was also um, having uh, these bouts of dementia and it was getting progressively worse um, it, it became this thing where she's like, well, we got to, we've got to document him, you know, we've got to get him, mm-hmm. get him on camera. Um, I can't remember if this was in the fresh air interview or if it was in the Q and a, but she just talked about how at one point during the filming, she was worried that they started too late. And then when they were in the editing bay, she realized like, no, we got him. Like we got him on, mm. on camera. We've got, yeah. Him. Wow. Um, yeah. And speaking to that a little bit, like the, I can just kind of the life affirming nature of this. There's a great quote from, dick johnson in this and i'm trying to remember exactly what the setup for it is uh something about um they talk about euthanasia a little bit and and kind of (laughs) when when you would want to pull the plug and there's a funny joke actually where he says something like uh yeah you can you can pull the plug if it gets to a certain point and um She's like, are you sure? And he says, yeah, just, just check with me first. <laughs> I ruined the joke, but he says something like if you, the joke is that he's not able to communicate, but he says, check with me first. And it's just really funny. And he has like a really cute kind of old man sense of humor. Uh, but then at some point too, he says the line, um, I love life too much for that about something about, you know, leaving the world earlier than planned. And I just thought that was a, a, a nice little quotable quote there about just uh, kind of enjoying life. And, and I think that speaks to, like even his willingness to do this, I, I, so she said in the Q and A that he was on board pretty quickly, which mm-hmm. was surprising to me, just because I think a, a lot of fathers wouldn't want this to happen. That's a really vulnerable thing that she's putting on film, uh, but and I wonder if that has something to do with his his career as a, a psychiatrist and um, just his uh, kind of appreciation for I don't know the human condition or something that he uh, was willing to 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 do this really odd film about his. Uh, his own life and mental state. But yeah. Well, I think she does like this really good job of there's this fine line um, because, you know, he does have dementia and, and, um, and he's sort of losing his memory and he may not always be there, but she has to like walk this fine line between, um, you know, knowing that he's a willing participant uh, Mm -hmm. and trying not to be exploitive. Right. So there's a scene in the film 
where with one of the deaths involves a lot of fake blood and yeah. it, it becomes clear that he's uncomfortable. And so mm-hmm. they very quickly had to like, you know, end it or like get out of that yeah. situation. Um, and, and I think that's probably also like the point at, at which she, she starts to feel like, okay, maybe like we have to start wrapping up this film. Um, then again, it's hard to say because of the way editing works. Um, one of the things she's talked yeah. about is just trying to like show on film a linear progression of the disease and how you can really do that in the editing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you, you can just, yeah, I guess it's by, cho- like by choosing the sequence that you order the scenes, you can sort of create this narrative of the, of the progression of the disease that um, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mirror, mirror what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, uh, there's also an interesting kind of religious aspect to this. She talks about growing up as a seventh day Adventist. And first of all, like she, she said like that meant like no alcohol, no dancing, no movies, like really strict. But then her dad took her to see young Frankenstein when she was 11. So like flouting the rules. And then uh, that helped her kind of to fall in love with the movies. Um, and then he also had some, she, she quoted him as saying, uh, he liked to live in the moment. I've got my heaven right here on earth. He'd like to say talking about his family, which again, is just really sweet, but um, yeah. And then, so the religious aspect of it comes in when she uh, depicts heaven. And so she believes or, or the, the religion she was brought up with um, has this belief in the afterlife. And she sort of depicts that in a funny way. Um, but then in the Q and a too, she talked about just with different, different ideas about death and, and dying and, um, sort of the the idea of an afterlife at all that uh, different cultures and different religions have different ideas about that. Anyway, there's, there's a really interesting kind of religious aspect to this film as well. Yeah. um, And one of the things I thought was interesting is she talks about how she was devout, you know, like she, she was a a believer. Um, She, she said, I don't have the question she's responding to here. This is an interview. Yeah. This is in the fresh air interview. She said, I was devout. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't just, it wasn't, I just thought of myself as devout. I really believed in God. I believed that God could, that God knew all of my thoughts. And so, you know, this was a real internal struggle. And so like, it was, a, it was a, it was a thing that, um, it was a big part of her life growing up. Yeah. I wondered how much the documentary would go into that. It doesn't go much more than what I just said, but then, I mean, that heaven thing comes back again and again. And then like the funerals in a church and it's a clear religious setting, um, yeah, but I, I, that's another interesting kind of kind of layer to this, I think. Uh, well, I just think this is quite, it's funny because she like she goes on and she starts talking about how she was questioning how can there be God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and there's no women. I'm just like that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, and then she said, and, and two, I couldn't believe that we were the chosen people because I hadn't met many Seventh Day Adventists, and I was like, and I was and uh, and I was like, the world's a big place. Like, how are there Seventh Day Adventists, uh, the chosen people? So I told my parents, I said. God will know if I'm lying, if I get baptized. And they said, you, they said, you don't have to get baptized. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love hearing those kind of uh, stories about people's changing beliefs over time. So I've, I've got to look that interview up. Yeah. That's fascinating. One interesting aspect of it. Yeah. Is the humor. So as we mentioned, it's kind of all about death and it's, it's honestly, it's such an interesting exploration of that, that I, like, like if I ever get to teach a class about death in cinema like i'll have like the seventh seal and i'll have this <laughs> like this will be part of the curriculum um but the the all the humor in it is so interesting and it reminded me when we talked about um 
the host from Bong Joon-ho, there was a quote there because something he does so well in that film is kind of blending funny and tragic kind of from moment to moment. And he had a quote about, um, you know, that's how life is. If someone asked him, how do you write that so well? And he said, you know, that's how life is. It's really, it just kind of comes naturally because, um, you might be at a funeral and it's a really heavy thing, but then something really funny can happen. And it's okay to laugh. Uh, and that's just how humans are. So that, that and that, that literally happens in this because in that funeral scene, um, and it's actually really funny and I won't spoil the kind of the joke of it, but, uh, there's just a moment that it almost was like, am I supposed to be laughing at this? It seems funny. It feels like irreverent to laugh, but then it cuts to her and her dad in the foyer, just really laughing their heads off about it, which like, I, I think too, there's something about if you're on edge emotionally, like, because I'm about to cry because it seems really moving. And then something funny happens. It's almost a, it almost like amplifies the humor of something, which actually I've noticed as a parent too. Like if my kid is crying and then I crack a joke, sometimes it's like, that wasn't that funny, but like that really helped turn his mood around. Uh, so anyway, maybe that's just an interesting human uh, trait that that we share. But yeah, there's, it blends the tragedy and comedy really, really well, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, the way the film starts is, um, I forget like the literal opening, but you know, like the title sequence is when he gets the um, AC unit dropped on his head. And it's so like, I remember like when I saw that, it was just so shocking, you know, and it yeah. almost works like a horror movie. And that then like the rest of the film, you're just waiting. Like once you figure, like, yeah. if you went into this film, not knowing what it was about, once the premise is revealed to you in those opening couple of scenes where they meet with like a stunt man and everything, um, mm-hmm. you just spend the rest of the film. You're just sort of like anticipating the next death. Um, yeah. and, and it increases like this weird feeling. Uh, but, and then when it happens, it's like almost cathartic. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I think this great releasing of tension. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, and that kind of gets it the way like horror and comedy work in the same way of like a joke is building attention and releasing it. And like a horrific moment is the same thing. So yeah, she's kind of playing with that too. Yeah. Well, it's a really great movie. And, and, you know, I didn't, I just thought of this. So if you don't want to do this, we can, we can cut it, but I thought it might be fitting if we ended our conversation by saying, uh, how we would like to die. Oh, how would I like to die? I don't know. <laughs> I honestly I thought about like, it. I, I can go first if you want, but go ahead. Uh, I'll just say that on the Q and A when she was asking that I, I was thinking, it's like, I really don't know, but I'll think about it. Uh, while you, while you give your answer. Okay. I have a little bit of an answer. I think I show like a lot of people in the Q and a talked about like, I want to die in my sleep. So it's painless and like different things like that. I think that for me, it would be wanting to be like, not be alone. Like someone that I love is with me. Um, you know, and I'm like old in a hospital bed or something like that or at home. Actually, that's a thing. My wife had a, uh, a class on death, dying and grieving. And that's kind of a trend lately is why would you want to die in the sterile, sad hospital when you could, be in your home like so people go from hospice care to their homes uh when it's clear that it's about to be the end i think that's kind of cool and kind of beautiful but um yeah just being with someone i love uh, which i realize is like selfish on one hand because that means i can't be there for them when they die (laughs) because i'm dying first but i had a dream one time actually that so yeah this this q a really brought a lot up for me (laughs) but i had this dream once where um Speaking of, we talked about Lost recently briefly, but uh, on that show, there's like moments where 
like uh, the world kind of goes white, kind of fades into white um, when something sort of apocalyptic or something is happening. I had a dream. I had been watching Lost. I think that's why. <laughs> but like so I was in a crowd and suddenly the world started to like go white. Like a, like I, my vision was fading into white and I was like, this is the end of the world. Like this is it. This is the end. It was like a really vivid dream. And I was with a friend and I had this real strong sense. Like he started running away trying to like figure out what was going on. And I was so emotional i was i just was chasing him i was like this is it like just come here and hold my hand like we're about to die like i don't I just don't want to be alone so i i remember that suddenly when uh she was in this q a talking about how we want to die so i guess that's my answer is with a person <laughs> that i care about um have you considered a titanic style death that could be yeah, you know there's there, well, historically significant well you know in the in the film titanic there's an old couple that realizes what's happening they just decide to stay in the room and, and go together oh, yeah, like they're right. holding hands yeah. or something there um, we go. yeah so that's that's that could be a, <laughs> a way that you, you get to not selfishly die alone but i guess if you're painting yeah. the scenario together. on your yeah. own it's still sort of selfish that you would it's tough yeah you can't really plan for that and if you if you do plan for that it's kind of messed up so. yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah i don't know i still I, I don't know i know i don't want to die which is similar yeah. to your answer which is i don't want to die alone i don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with this film it's uh called dreams of a life and it's a sort of documentary with some reenactments about um this woman who died in her flat in london and was not discovered for like over a year. Oh, wow. um, and like, I guess for some reason, no one had thought about it. Um, mm-hmm. or, but no one ever came in and out of the apartment. I guess things were on auto pay or something. And wow. the TV was on. And when she was like surrounded by like, pr- like it's like Christmas gifts. Um, wow. and so it's just like really haunting, you know, like that, that was a movie yeah. that kind of affected me. Um, hmm. dreams of a life. Uh, I would, I would sort of recommend it. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, so you don't want to go, like I don't, that. I don't want to go like that. <laughs> I would say if I was awake, I would want it to be fast, you know, like, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. like if, if you're on like a roller coaster or something and you're accidentally decapitated, I imagine that's pretty quick. <laughs> uh, <Yoish>. oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want that to happen, but I imagine it's fast, which is, you know, yeah. Like, and you're having fun right until the very yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like rather, rather, I would rather that I, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one person in the Q and a who is like a, a thrill seeker, a filmmaker. And so he, that was kind of his answer was, you know, I, I want to, I, I very likely could die doing some of these death defying stunts that I do. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. Oh man. That just made me think of a, you might cut this. I don't know. The, <laughs> okay. I, I, I watch real sports with Brian Gumbel sometimes. And it reminds me, they did a story once on people who wear these like flying suits, you know, and they, oh, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, they jump off of high things like mountains or bridges. Um, and there was one of these, like a flying squirrel kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And of course you land with a parachute. Like guess when you're ready to, mm-hmm. when you're ready to come down, you, you deploy a parachute at some point, but this guy just went smack into a bridge, you oh, know, God. and just like, <laughs> Yes. couldn't be me <laughs> wow oh. wow i'll have to put a trigger warning on this episode <laughs> yeah. just because we talk about death so much <laughs> it's kind of unavoidable but, uh, with this film though you yeah. know yeah absolutely and and i think that's that's good and that's okay but yeah people should maybe know what they're getting it for yeah but yeah yeah 
Wow. Well, that is Dick Johnson is Dead, and we both highly recommend it. Yeah, this is going to be pretty high up, I think, for me, uh, as far as like best of the year goes. I mean, there's a lot of things I haven't seen yet, but I, I love this a whole lot. And I don't usually have documentaries that high up for me. And again, this is not a straight documentary, as we've said, but so creative, so um, emotionally moving that, you know, I want to watch it again, you know, before long, too. And, and uh, yeah, it's a really special movie. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Arthouse Garage has a few years' worth of episodes now, and you can hear all of them in your podcast app of choice or by going to arthousegarage.com. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, leave a rating or review in your podcast app. That goes a long way. Uh, you can also buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com shop. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the Arkansas film community by subscribing to our email newsletter. That is at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. You can also just email me directly if you have questions, comments, concerns, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places, or you can find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep it snob-free. Snob-free.